Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Oppressed and enslaved in the land of Egypt for hundreds of years, the people of Israel cried out to God for help. Seeing the affliction of his people, God began his redemptive plan to one day lead them out of slavery into the promised land. So God appeared to Moses saying, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Pharaoh would not let the people go, though plague after plague served as a sign to him of God's power and sovereignty. Not until the tenth and final plague was Pharaoh finally moved to send the people of God away. So they left the land of Egypt and crossed through the Red Sea, passing from slavery to freedom. Well, good morning, ACF. Welcome to church. Let's celebrate being together here today. So glad to be in this place together. And everybody who's with us online, we love you. Thank you for joining us here today as well. Uh, if you don't know, we are in this really exciting season as a church, and it's been kind of a rebuilding season as a church, as it probably has been for you. As you kind of walk through 2020, so much has been stripped away. We've all gotten a little time to think about our lives and get some perspective. And so now we're, we're kind of re-entering into community and into society, right? It's like, it's like a rebirth is going on here, I think for a lot of people as well as for the church. And I just, I honestly believe that like this is the day of the church. I mean, I don't know that in my lifetime I've ever seen a more incredible opportunity for God's people to rise up and show the world that there is a different way to live, a different perspective to have on all that we've been through and that there is hope. There's hope to be found that can't be stripped away by a virus or by a, uh, a dipping bank account or a loss of a job or by the stock market, but, but our hope is firmly founded in Jesus. And so what we do as a church is we get to give that away. I mean, that is our ultimate mission. And so if you're new to our church, just so, so you know, this is not a community that exists for itself. Okay, so this is really important that you know this. When you come to church, uh, wh- wh- whatever place you're in um, with God, we come together and gather in this room together so that we can be sent out on mission into the community. We're going to talk a little bit more about that here today. But just so you know, this is not the holy huddle, right? This is not like we get together and try to feel good about ourselves. No, there is a world full of people, friends, neighbors, family members who do not have the hope of Jesus. And so your job and my job is to go get them. It's to go interact with them all week long. And so, um, and, and then ultimately, we want to see them come to faith in Jesus. Uh, we believe that this place is a place of mission, that every single week, um, I would guess there's a, there's a bunch of you that are at all different places in your faith. You might not be a Christian. The person next to you here today, uh, sitting in this seat, might not be a believer in Jesus. And so this is a place of mission. It's also a place of worship. Well, we're just going to uh, come together to say that God is bigger than all my fears, and he's bigger than all of my problems, and He's bigger than all that's gone on over the past year. He's bigger than the future and the unknowns. And so um, I don't know about you, but I need that. 
And I look forward to that every single week, to be with you uh, and just to say God is, God is greater, okay? So, so I just want to encourage you to do that and engage with this. And, and, uh, and I did, also, if you're here and you're like, man, I'm new to ACF, like, I'll be honest, I don't know uh, probably half of you. Uh, the church has changed a lot, and, and many of you are new. Um, but this is a church where um, we, we want to be fully engaged. Uh, one of our rules of engagement is that we bring our best when we come to church. And so, uh, just so you know, you can talk back during the message, okay? Anybody from the South, anybody lived in the South, okay? You know that, like, when the preacher says something that you, that you believe in, you say, amen, or, or, or come on, right? You're, you're already doing it, right? There you go. Just so you know, I want to let you know, you can talk back to me. It lets me know that you're there. Um, otherwise, I'm just going to take my notes and go home. So, uh, anyway, Open up to Exodus chapter 2. That's where we're at here today. Last week, we launched into this series called Into the Wild, and uh, we're talking about this people um, that, that this book was written to that, that existed in the wilderness, and they needed to hear who God was and hear their origin story, where their roots are, so that they, they could see that God is always faithful, and he's always going to be leading them out of places of slavery in their lives. And so we're going to come back to this story over and over again. I talked last week about how God is most active where we think he's most absent. That part of your life where you're like, man, I just, I'm feeling tension and there's a struggle there. That that that's actually where God is probably doing the deepest work in your life. And then ultimately the, the story of Israel coming out of Egypt, that Egypt represents all that enslaves us. That we all walked in here, whether we're a, a believer in Jesus or, or just kind of on the fence, wherever you're at, you walked in with some chains on you. Like there's something that, that it's, it's either been placed on you by somebody else, something you've been through, uh, something that was said to you and you just haven't dealt with it yet, or it's something that you have willingly put on yourself, something that enslaves you. And so this is a story, it's our story of a God who sees us in our affliction and then leads us into liberation. And so we, we believe that God is, is, is here in this. And so at this point in the story, you've got God's people enslaved in Egypt. You've got uh, this Pharaoh who is, who's scared. He's scared that God's people are multiplying. And I love that last week we said that as the oppression was poured onto God's people, what they did is they multiplied and grew. Because that is the story of the church, that when we're oppressed and pushed down, we actually expand and grow. And that's, that, that's just the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God. It can't be stopped. And so Pharaoh is oppressing God's people, and he makes this decision that they would kill all the baby boys that were born. He says if there's a, a, a female that's born, you can, you can let the female live. But if there's a, a Hebrew baby boy that's, that's born, uh, that you should put him to death. And this was to keep God's people from multiplying and potentially taking over. And, and the midwives are told to take the babies if there's a baby boy. But then they come back and they say, hey, we just can't, we can't do it. Like, we're not, we're not able to, to find all these baby boys uh, because these, these uh, Hebrew women, they just, they just seem to figure it out. They're having babies everywhere, right? Like they're just walking down the street, they jump into a corner, have a baby, right? They're finding find a dark corner, have a baby. Like they're finding ways to have the children. I love that uh, the translation I read, uh, she called, they called them uh, vigorous women. These Hebrew women, they're like Alaska women, right? Like, like they can just get through anything, having babies wherever they want to. And so uh, the baby boys are continuing to, um, uh, to, to grow. And, and then in chapter two, we're introduced to this man named Moses. And if you know this, her, Moses' mom has this beautiful baby boy, and it's just like, man, I, I want to protect my child like any good mother would want 
to protect her child. And so she builds like a little baby kayak. Do you remember this part of the story? Puts him like in a little baby kayak, sends him downstream where Pharaoh's daughter uh, sees Moses and adopts him into this royal family. So Moses is raised. He's a Hebrew uh, boy raised up in this Egyptian royal family. And his name is Moses, which, which means to be drawn out of the water. And so, I don't know, she didn't realize this, but she was actually prophetic as she spoke this name over this child because we know the story continues, right? God's people, uh, they cross the Red Sea and they're drawn out of the water and that's how God shows that he's, his, he's their deliverer, right? And ultimately for us as believers, one of our symbols of deliverance is baptism, right? As we come up out of the water, it's a symbol that we have been delivered by God. And so there's this prophetic thing that's going on in the name of Moses. But Exodus 2, verse 5, kind of tells the story. Here it is. It says, She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Okay, so this is the moment where they see that this little boy deserves a life, and, and this is the first time that Moses is rescued. He's going to be rescued a lot more times in his life, but this is the first time that he's rescued out of a, of a moment of vulnerability in his life. And so what I was thinking this week is that we kind of have to start off with is this reality that we all, we all need rescuing. In fact, I'd say it this way, for all that we have accomplished, every human being still needs saving. Every human being. And you might walk in here and feel confident in yourself, um, you might feel pretty strong after 2020 because uh, maybe in your industry, uh, things have gone really well. Um, it's been a really polarizing season, right? Some people are struggling for work. Other people are like raking in the money, right? I mean, you're making hay right now because it's just, it's just been a good year for your industry. Maybe your family's like, they just rocked living in a house together and being confined together. They, they nailed it, right? You're, you're tighter than ever, doing better than ever. But others of us are, are falling apart and we have marriages that are they're really struggling in, in, in relationships that are, that are going wrong and addictions that things that you thought you kicked years ago that are like coming back into your life. And so at a baseline, we come together every single week as a church family and we say, I need the grace of God. This is why we show up. And so if you're here and you don't need the grace of God, you're in the wrong place. Uh, th- this is a place for people who are like, I need the grace of God in my life. And so if you're a disaster, you're in the right place, right? That's where God's people we gather together and we say, I need saving. I need salvation. And, and it's just incredible what we have done as a society, right? We've sent people to the moon, right? Uh, we've been watching this documentary about uh, the Challenger flight and all of, you know, that went on in, in 1986. And, and the things that have happened historically where we see man, mankind has done so much, right? Uh, my, my wife went in for a surgery this week where she had a disc replaced in her neck. And somehow they, they cut this little bitty uh, hole and they can put this piece in and they can jack her spinal cord or her spine up and they can put this disc in there and they, they tap this file around and they make it stick and they put it all back together and she's, she's, uh, she's like half a centimeter taller now and uh, she's walking around just taking a little ibuprofen and she's good. Like she feels great. How do you do that? Like, if you're in the medical field, I mean, I just don't even understand uh, how you do some of the things that you do. It's incredible what mankind has accomplished, and we can become pretty proud of ourselves. But whatever you've done, whatever accomplishments you have, whatever the thing is that you like to kind of brag about around the water cooler, 
You still need saving. I still need saving. And so this is the first moment where Moses in a vulnerable state is cared for and is saved. So the story continues. Now, Moses is 40 years old. He's an intelligent, well-educated man, a high-class man living in the royal household. But what he knows is that he is not one of those people, right? He is not truly an Egyptian man. He looks a little different, uh, thinks a little different, and he also knows that, that he is actually a Hebrew man. And so he's always got this affinity for the Hebrew people, but he's living in this Egyptian household, this privileged household, right, where he's just got everything that he could ever need, yet his, his people are in a position where they're, they're starving, they're being abused, you know, and so he just, his heart is growing for his people. Verse 11 says this, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, So once again, these are his people, right? Moses went out not to somebody else's people. He didn't disassociate from those people. No, he he said, these are my people. And this wasn't the first time that he'd heard that they were being mistreated. He was aware of their mistreatment. And this idea of looking on, it says Moses looked on, isn't just to, to look at something. It's to look on something. I mean, we look at things all day long. We, we look at a lot of stuff, but, but there are things that we look on. And to look on is to, to, to see something with a heart of compassion. So this is the difference. Moses didn't simply see what was going on with his people. His heart felt what was going on with his people. Something in him broke when he saw his people being abused and being mistreated. And something kind of cracked inside of him. And I just wonder for you today, as, as I was reading this, like, like what are the things that you look on? What are the things that, sure, you see a lot of things. There's many needs in the society that we live in. But is there one thing that you seem to, to consider a little bit more than the other things? Is there one thing that kind of breaks your heart and, and, and creates a, a passion inside of you? Is there something that angers you and frustrates you, maybe in a, in a God-honoring way, that might motivate you to take action? This is the moment we see in the life of Moses. Um, I don't know, remember who came up with the term, but the term that I've always used is a, a holy discontent. Where do you have like a holy discontent? Like it's given by God that you're just like, this is wrong. It's frustrating. I mean, maybe it's as simple as the fact that you have family members and friends who don't have the hope of Jesus in in your life, in their life. And and so you're like, this is, it's not okay. I can't believe how much God has saved me from or how good he's been to me. It's not okay that my friends don't know Jesus. And so you're passionate about sharing the gospel. And some of you are so bold and I love it. I mean, some of you are like, man, you can't walk into Fred Meyer without inviting somebody to ACF Church. Or, or, or you know, when you're on uh, your social media platforms, you see that as a way to leverage technology to share the good news of Jesus and to share church services online. And, and you're always inviting people to stuff. I love the boldness of so many of you. Honestly, it's why our church, uh, I think, has grown the way it has is because so many of you are so bold in sharing that God has done something real in your life and, and it almost angers you that people wouldn't have the hope of Jesus in their lives. It angers you, frustrates you. Man, I can't believe that they don't believe that, that God can save them. Like if God can save me, he can save anyone, right? And so you see this moment in Moses' life where he looks on his people just as we need to look on our city. We need to look on uh, Anchorage. We need to look on Eagle River. Look on the state of Alaska and go, God, you are doing a work 
There are, there are people suffering and struggling. Some look like they're bright and shiny on the outside and just commuting into work, but there is struggle and suffering deep in their hearts, and I want to see you do something about it. This is our mission as God's people. Continues on, it says, And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Okay, so this is a specific moment that he now finds himself in. He's looking upon all that's going on and the abuse of his people. Then he, he encounters this moment where he literally sees an Egyptian beating one of his people and he's frustrated. He has a righteous indignation, right? A holy frustration with what's going on in this moment. And we actually see Moses has a bit of a temper, um, I won't ask for a raise of hands of who struggles with their temper, but I think we all occasionally have a temper. There might be some uh, strangely hung pictures in your house, uh, right? Because there was, a, there was a hole in the drywall, right? There was a moment where you lost your, so you walk into somebody's house, you're like, why is there a picture of the cat like at knee level in the laundry room? I don't understand it, right? So you hang these random pictures. You guys are laughing like this is legit, and it is. This stuff happens, right? We've all probably had moments of temper coming out in our lives. And we see, if you look at the life of Moses continuing on, this is actually a problem for him. Um, It is actually something that keeps him from fully walking into some of the things that God um, is doing in his life. And one thing that you need to know about this, as he sees a Hebrew being beaten by an Egyptian, uh, this isn't just a cultural difference. You need to understand this is an ethnic difference. You get that? So, so the reason that um, this woman saw Moses in this little baby kayak and knew that he was a Hebrew boy was because his, his skin color was different, okay? So there's a racial aspect and dynamic going on in this moment. Moses sees one of his brothers being beaten down by someone of another race, and it infuriates him. It frustrates him. It angers him, and so he, he reacts, right? Verse 12. He looked this way and that. So first, Moses is trying to cover his tracks, right? He doesn't want to get in too much trouble. So we see some, some premeditation involved here, right? He looked around. You ever look around? You ever find yourself going, doing the look, right? Whenever you're doing that, some, you're up to no good, right? It's just going to get bad. You're going to make a bad choice when, you, when you're doing this thing. So he's doing this, this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He murders the Egyptian that was beating up his brother. So here we have Moses. Remember who Moses is? One of the patriarchs of Christianity itself, acting out murder in a moment of unbridled rage. Now, we could read a lot into this, right? I mean, what's going on in this moment? What motivates him to do something like this. Well, we don't actually know the heart of Moses in the moment, but um, we could say a few things. It could have been that he loved his people so much that he just lost his temper because someone was hurting his people. Um, it could have been this, that he wanted to prove that he was a true Hebrew. Because remember, there would have been a, a, a disconnect between him and his people. He's growing up in the royal household, a household of, of many privileges, 
right? And, and so I would guess that his friends or people that were his age probably kind of turned their noses up at Moses a little bit. Like, oh, I get it, right, right? You're rolling in the Bentley, right? You, you, got, the, you got a couple iPhones. Like, like, I get it. You live in the royal household. Like, like, you're just killing it. Always on vacation on your Instagram and your TikTok, right? I see what you're doing, Moses, and I get that you're better than us, right? And so we don't know, was Moses kind of virtue signaling in this moment? Like, look at me, like I can change the world too, and, and, and I can get my hands dirty, and I'm a real Hebrew person. Maybe his heart was just for justice. Maybe he, he, just, he just wanted to see justice served, that this man was guilty of beating one of his people, and he just, he wanted to see justice served. We really don't know what motivated him to do this. But one thing that I did notice is that this is Moses writing this story. And he left this part in. Isn't that amazing? This is one of the things that builds up my faith in the scriptures, in the Bible itself, is if I was writing a story about myself, I would have left this part out. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Let's just skip ahead to when I was 50, right? Like, like I don't really want to involve that part of my life. But, but Moses tells the whole story. And if you read the Bible for what it is, you're going to find some really uncomfortable things. You're going to see some of God's people acting not a whole lot like God. You're going to see some moments where you're like, man, that's somebody that I, that I really respect later in the book, but earlier in the book, they had a terrible life, right? They had some terrible things going on in their souls. And as we look at this man, like, we see that every leader has the potential to do really ugly things. And every human does as well. And, and, and I know this as a church leader, as I see um, year after year, different church leaders falling out of ministry and different things happening that I'm reading. And I'm like, man, they didn't probably set out to make this decision. They probably didn't wake up one day and say, I want to throw away my ministry, my family. I want to ruin you know, my life. I want to, I want to lose my influence. They, it was just little slips, right? Little moments of unchecked frustration or anger. Little moments where they started thinking that they were entitled to something. Little moments where, where they didn't know what to do with their rage. And so they just let it build up in their lives. And those moments all compounded to actually take them out of the ministry. And, and, and you've seen this in your friends' lives where you're like, man, I, I had no idea that they were even capable of doing something like that. And then I saw them on the news or I heard they lost their job or whatever it is because it was just little slips, right? And so I read this story and I go, man, um, every leader that I've always respected, they're also human beings, right? And I, I want you to know this. Like, I'm, I'm as human as anybody else. And the reason I get up here and share the gospel every week is not because I'm good, but because Jesus is good. Yeah. Otherwise, I would never get to preach. I want you to know that. I get to get up here and I say things and I want to share the good news of Jesus because I need it as much as you need it. One of the things that we love to do is idolize our leaders, right? We put them up on a pedestal um, so that they have a long way to fall when they screw up, right? And so we lift them up on this pedestal and we begin to idolize our leaders. And, it, and, it, and it, of course, it's not helpful to them. It's not helpful to us to do that. But I just want you to know what it also keeps us from doing is seeing what they do and going, I think that there's some potential in my life to walk in, in their footsteps for the good stuff that they've done. I, I think maybe I could serve in that way. Like, like when we idolize leaders, we forget that God also wants to use us as well. This, I love this quote that I ran across this week. Uh, it says this, By idolizing those who we honor, we do a disservice both to them and to ourselves. We fail to recognize that we could go and do likewise. And so when you lift someone up on a pedestal, not only do you give them a long ways to fall when they screw it up, 
But you can also miss out that, that God might want to use you in the same way that God used them. And so we see that in the life of Moses. We could also say it this way. Our perception of perfection will keep us off the field. I mean, when you see someone playing the game and you're just like, man, they're just so good. God, I wish I, wish I had talent like that. You ever said that before? I wish I could, I could do what they do. I mean, God, look at them just killing it, right? And we forget how much they worked to get there, right? We don't know how much they sacrificed to get to that point, but we go, man, I just can't ever do that. And our perception of per- per- perfection will keep us from doing the things that God might call us to do as well. We read later in the book of Acts when God is kind of building his church that Stephen is speaking to these religious leaders who actually had an unrealistic perspective of Moses. They were missing Jesus because they were worshiping Moses, right? Putting him up on a, on a pedestal, right? And so I just hope you hear this one thing. I hope you leave church today not thinking about me, but thinking about Jesus. I hope you're not like, man, what? And, and it's okay if somebody says, good sermon, Brian. I appreciate that, right? But if you walk out of here, don't be thinking about me. Think about Jesus. Think about what God wants to do in your life here today. Now, this situation where Moses loses his temper brings up other questions, doesn't it? Other dynamics going on here. Um, in fact, when I was reading this, I'm like, this, doesn't this read like a news story from 2020? When you think about it, like you can't really miss out on, on almost the irony there that you're like, man, this feels like something that we keep seeing on the news. And it brings up all kinds of questions, right? Right? Like at what point does violence demand violence? It's a difficult question, right? At what point is, is violence justified, right? Other question, how bad was he beating the Hebrew? Was it really bad? Was he going to kill him? Or was it just a little bit of a beat down, right? Like, like how bad was the situation? Was it life-threatening? Could Moses have defended his fellow Hebrew brother without actually killing the Egyptian man, right? Was it racially motivated? Is that why he was beating this man down? Where were the body cameras, right? We start asking questions like that. Like, I want to see the footage of what happened in this moment. Are you you catching my drift, right? There's things going on culturally where we look on and we try to figure these things out. And I'm going to let you discuss that all in your life group this week, by the way. So you can, I'm not going to answer those questions. If you're like, is he going to, no, I'm not going to go there. So verse 13, because once again, we don't know the situation specifically. And and it's funny, when you read this story, you might go, man, that was just wrong of him. How could he have done this? But others of you are like, well, it's it's justified, right? And I've found that as I'm talking to people about this story, that there's a mix. Some people are like, well, he was beating his brother. So what else is he going to do, right? And we don't know, did he mean to kill him? Or was it just something happened? It got into a scuffle? We, We just don't No, but I just want you to know that the racial tension we feel today has always been felt. And that Jesus has always been at work within those terrible things that go on in all societies to reveal himself through suffering and through loss and sorrow and and good decisions and bad decisions. God is going to work through all of those things. But we do know that, 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 again, Moses was a, he's a man. And I'm sure he had certain perspectives of people of all different races. In verse 13, it continues on. It says, when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. So, so one day he sees a Hebrew being beaten by an Egyptian, leans in, kills the man, buries him in the sand, hides his tracks, right? The next day he sees two of his brothers, like Hebrew on Hebrew violence going on here. They're, they're beating up each other. And he's like, hey guys, we don't have to get violent here. Like, what are we doing? We don't need this crime going on here. We don't need you guys hurting each other. You're oppressed enough as it is. And then it goes on and it says, And he said 
to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? Now, listen to, listen to his response. He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Oh, wait a minute. News travels fast, doesn't it? News travels fast in Egypt. And so these people, clearly somebody saw, he looked this way and that, and as you've been there before, somebody saw this thing. Somebody heard about it. Uh, This man went missing. They began to assume some things. People started talking. Where was Moses at this time? Oh, he was over here. Now there's a weird bump in the sand. Like People started figuring out what what had gone on. And so even if Moses had this plan of gaining some rapport amongst his people, it didn't seem to work out very good, did it? You ever gone off half-cocked before and had it not work out so well? Like, man, I just should have thought more about my actions in that moment. Doesn't work out so well. Even his own people are like, man, you're just a murderer, right? Like, we saw what you did. Who makes you the judge over us? This is a, this is a profound question, isn't it? Who makes you judge? This is the question that I think keeps us from, from doing what God wants us to do many times, is we don't want to be the judge, Right? We don't want to be, the, and this is a really good thing, right? We know as believers, like, we are ultimately not the judge. There's profound wisdom in this response, and here's what it is. When you make yourself the judge, it's no longer about justice. In the moment where, where okay, so, so he kills the, the Egyptian, he made himself the judge in that moment, right? Judge, jury, executioner, I'm killing this man. And so when you make yourself the ultimate judge, it's no longer about Justice. We're not actually trying to pursue the best thing for them and for society and for the people around us. It's just all about letting out our own personal rage. And, and see, you need to know that there's a difference between making good judgments and being the judge. God does call us as his people to make good judgments. It's why we have the Bible. Uh, we want to come back to the scriptures and go, what is good and right in the world? Because the world doesn't seem to know. They can't seem to agree. So we come back to the scriptures. It's why it's such an important time for us, an incredible moment for us as the church is because people are so divided over what is justice right now. But we as God's people, we can go back to the Bible and go, there is something uh, to be said about justice. In fact, we serve a God who, who is just, right? A God who defines what justice is for us. Romans 12 talks about it like this, Romans twelve nineteen, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. Some translations say justice is mine. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, when I've always read the scripture, I always go to that burning coals part and go, that's what I wanted to do all the time, right? (laughs) Just dump some fire on their head, right? Make them burn for what they said or what they did. But that's not really what the text is doing. It's not talking about kind of a a subversive way of of, of repaying them, but saying that it's going to get their attention, right? Somebody dumps some coals on your head, you're going to know it, right? It's going to get your attention. And so when you begin to serve, instead of becoming the judge, of the people that have wounded you or hurt you or, or whatever it may be, the people who are, who are doing things that maybe you disagree with, then God owns the, 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 the vision of being the judge and you can just go and love, right? And loving others and, and judging, uh, making judgments can, can actually be held hand in hand. It's important that we know the difference, that we can make and should make good judgments. Don't be afraid to say that's just wrong. 
Uh, don't be afraid to open the scriptures, look at the Bible, look at what God says about the world and say, this is not okay. But also remember that ultimately God is the judge. So we're kind of judge little J, does that mean? Does it, you know what that means? So like, we're going to judge that like, hey, if I see you abusing someone, I can say uh, with all authority, I think that's wrong. So I'm like little J judge, little judgments. But at the same time, I'm not here to judge your soul, right? I'm not here to judge your heart. I don't really know what your motivations are, what drove you to do that. God is going to do that. But as God's people, we have to be willing to speak up once in a while and go, man, this is not okay. Uh, That God is actually calling us as his kingdom people uh, to, to bring justice to the world, that we get to be his hands and feet in that way. And so we shouldn't be afraid of that. But ultimately, I love this this text, because it says vengeance is God's, right? Justice is God's. He will take that job. In fact, I asked this week uh, on my social media account for some people to help me with my sermon, because this word justice has become really confusing in our society, hasn't it? I remember getting into ministry about uh, 15 years ago, and uh, the word social justice started popping up a lot more. And this term is, is becoming so divisive in the church, right? And at that point, 15 years ago, in the church, it was mostly a positive thing. Yeah, social justice, helping the poor and the vulnerable, right? Using whatever means we can to try to give to those who need it, right? Sacrificing something from ourselves to help someone who has less than us. I mean, I can read that in the Bible, right? But then it started kind of growing and morphing into something else. And I'll tell you this, I could not care less about the term. I mean, the term is completely disposable. We can throw it away if we want to. But in the end, here's the trend that I'm seeing. Is as I ask people, like, what do you think about the word social justice? It's about 50-50 mix. Um, because some, some people, when they hear it, they think of something really good and really positive. And then another uh, group of people, about half said it's a really negative connotation, right? Because you hear social justice and then you hear the word warrior at the end, right? You're like, I don't want to be a social justice. It's a term that people use to, 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 to call out a certain crowd that are acting uh, towards certain types of justice in society. And so there's just all of this weird connotation. But I think at the same time, what I did hear consistently was that people are for the word justice, And I want you to know this, that as God's people, we can argue about different things going on in society. We can argue about different trends and and what is and is not justice. But the reason there's so much division is what I just said, is that our society does not have a way to determine what justice is. There is no way. We're simply trying to make the best out of a broken system. Does that make sense? But God's people, as kingdom people, we believe in a God that will bring justice to the world. And ultimately, as his kingdom comes to earth, there will be no injustice in our society. And so we do have, we have this unchanging perspective on what is right and what is good. And I get that in the political thing, there's going to be people who love Jesus on both sides of different, uh, different trends and different movements. But as God's people, we have to come back to what we can unify on, and that's that God is a God of justice, and that you literally cannot look like Jesus if you don't look like justice. If you're not living for the, the, and if you're like, man, what is justice? It's simply this. Here's all all it is. It's when I make your problems into my problems. That's all it is. And again, I know it gets slippery and you're like, man, I I just, I I struggle with different types of things or I'm fighting with my neighbor about different movements and things that are going on. But all justice is, is making your problems into my problems, which sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Aren't you glad that Jesus made your problems into his problems? Aren't you glad that he gave up of himself, right? He took on the flesh of humanity. God himself became a human 
born in poverty so that you could experience freedom. And so, I mean, you just need to be careful and be aware that as, as, as the church moves forward, whatever your political views may be, don't throw out the word justice with the word social, okay? So, in fact, throw the whole word away if you want to, but we will be God's people standing for justice. It's, it's why we launched Hope to Alaska. I mean, you could say that's sort of a social justice movement because we're, we're doing something that's going to impact our society, right? Like fewer suicides in the state of Alaska, good thing, right? Fewer people walking without um, hope, that's a really good thing. Seeing people find the counseling they need, uh, getting, the, getting into a, a life group or getting into community when they're just lost in their own despair, like that sounds like something that could change our city, doesn't it? Yeah. And see, that's really what we need to make sure that with the movement of the terms, we don't throw out the heart of the issue, which is that God is going to use his church to ultimately change the world and to show his justice and his kingdom to the people around us. But at the same time, um, I've labeled this week the Savior Complex because we can also go off that side of this, can't we? We can forget that, that not only is, is Jesus the ultimate judge, but he is also the ultimate Savior. Okay, so this is really important that we know this. How do you know if you've crossed the line into becoming somebody with a Savior Complex, right? Because your heart, I just want you, you your heart cannot break for everything going on in the world. Like, you don't have the capacity. I don't have the capacity. But your heart can break for one thing. And you can make a difference in one thing or, or just a, a couple things. But it's very tempting to wander into this, like, where I feel this, this role. Like, I'm going to be the one that God uses to save the world. He already sent someone to do that. Right? So you're not the one that, that has to bear that burden. You want to make a difference. Praise God. That just means Jesus lives in you. That just means you're a Christian. If you want to make a difference, that's a good thing, but don't fall into the Savior complex. Here's how you know if you uh, cross that line. A few things. First, um, your heart is consumed by hatred and not love. If your heart is consumed and you're driven and you're motivated, if you're honest, by hatred towards the other people, right, and not love for those who are being oppressed, then you've probably wandered into some uh, Savior complex tendencies, uh, here's the next one. You wish the worst for your oppressors. Right? I mean, you just, you can't see that, that they've gone through something or, or been through something that's caused them to get to this point and, and you're not justifying the behavior. It's completely unjust. It's completely wrong. But, but you wish the worst for them. You don't pray for their salvation. Right? Like, bless those who persecute you, Jesus just said. Right? Bless them. Number three, uh, you justify your own actions but not theirs. That's how you know you've wandered into the Savior complex is, is, is you, you know that there's sin in your life, but it's really not that bad, right? It's pretty minor, and you're trying to kind of deal with it. And so you, you justify the oppressive actions in your life, but you never try to come up with some, some ways that they got to where they are. Once again, people typically don't wake up in the morning and say, I want to just go oppress the world, right? I mean, sure, there's evil people. But most people, it's a, it's a slope. They start getting their hearts and minds on something and they think that they're doing maybe even the right thing and they end up actually hurting a lot of people. Uh, number four, you're focused on situations and not generations. And so this is this moment for, um, for, for Moses as he sees one of his people being abused and he's got to fix it right now, right? He's got to be the one that fixes this. And he, he act, ends up actually losing influence with his Hebrew people. And they're, you know, they're calling him out on stuff. And he, again, like, he's focused on this one situation. 
Whereas God is going to set his people free, right? He's going to take them down a road. There's going to be a process. There's going to be a journey that they go on that we'll continue to read about. And we have to know that God is going to enact justice in his way and in his time. And there are situations where it's just broken and we go, man, I want to see that get fixed, but I know that, that it's going to be a journey. And so I want to make sure that I don't lose my influence by, by just kind of freaking out or losing my temper in this moment. I want to make sure I hold on to uh, the, the righteousness in my life, but also stand up for justice in the world. We see this. We remember Peter, right? Uh, where, where Jesus is getting arrested. What's he do? He cuts off the ear of the soldier, right? He's focused on uh, situations, not generations. Jesus heals the man. He's like, you don't know what you're doing here, right? Like, I'm going to set the world free. And so Peter doesn't even get it. We many times don't get it. And the last one is this. You identify as the oppressed and never the oppressor. I think this is so important that we remember this. You know that you've wandered into the Savior complex when you're uh, the oppressed. You're going to be the one that, that frees your people or those people. Um, but you're never the oppressor. In fact, I was reading a study this week. It was talking about um, this particular book of the Bible and this story in narrative itself and how in uh, many cultures, when people um, read this story, in any, uh, many, many nations who are under-resourced, when they read the story of the Israelites being released from slavery, they always relate to the oppressed. They always relate to the people who um, are, are being abused, and, and, and that's who they relate to. When most people in the West read this story, we always relate ourselves to Moses. So this is what they found, is that when we read the story, we go like, well, I'm Moses, right? I'm the, I'm the hero. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set everybody free. But it's interesting, nobody relates to Egypt. Nobody relates to Pharaoh. Nobody reads themselves into that character of the story, because none of us want to believe that we're the ones doing the oppressing. And yet I just want you to know, as broken as the world is, we all have a part to play. We all have a role in the oppression that's going on in the world. So at this point for Moses, he actually runs for his life. He's hiding out. He doesn't belong anywhere, has no people really to go to at this point in his life. Um, He's made some mistakes He's done it wrong, and maybe you can see this in your life where, yeah, man, I shouldn't have put that on Facebook, right? I shouldn't have commented on that thing. I shouldn't have said that thing to my coworker. I got really passionate about this thing that's in my life, and I probably started kind of having a bit of a savior complex and lost some influence. And so here's Moses kind of, I'm sure he's thinking about the decisions he's made. I'm sure he's like, man, I sure would like to be back in the palace now, you know? Like, like at least maybe I could, I could have something to eat and have a nice place to sleep. And so we can kind of criticize Moses and say, Moses, you really blew it in this moment. But here's what I noticed about Moses is that Moses had unbridled passion, but at least Moses had some passion. Moses has had unbridled passion, but at least he had some passion. And, and as I was reading this, we, we continue the story of Moses is that Moses gets used by God in incredible ways, doesn't he? I mean, God uses Moses, and this is important. You know, you as a church, we as a church, we need to identify the passion in our lives. We need to let God leverage that for his kingdom. And I just want you to know, this is the time that that the world needs to see some passion in the church, right? I mean, I don't know what you're passionate about right now, but if it's not about God primarily, it's time to reassess your values. Because because what we invest in the kingdom is the only thing that's going to continue on forward. I, I, love, I love this quote about passion. It says this, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. 
I love that. We need some passion. When the church is on fire with passion, people will roll in, right? They'll be like, what's going on in the church, right? What's going on with God's people? And so what does it take to light the church on fire with passion? I think, I think it's, it's obedience in the little things. I think it's waking up in the morning and saying, okay, I'm going to set my heart on God. It's, it's opening the scriptures daily and going, okay, God, what is your perspective on this messed up world I find myself in? And recentering ourselves. It's, it's considering and praying about the things that are messed up in our society and, and, and even, even just looking at the ugly things in the eye and going, God, that is, that's broken. That's, and letting God kind of stir up a fire inside of you, like a righteous fire in your life. Like light yourself on fire with passion and people will roll in to see what's going on. They're going to come from miles to watch you burn. I think it's little things. For, for us as a church, I just want you to know this. We're, we're growing right now. It's crazy uh, to see people coming back into community, although you know, COVID-19 isn't gone. Um, but we have a hundred different ways for you to serve here at ACF Church. And maybe you're like, man, I'm just not ready for that or, or excited about that. But I just want you to know that's a way to fight for justice. Justice is giving people what they deserve which we know if we determine that by society's standards, it means nothing, right? Like people deserve nothing. But we actually would say as believers that people's value is determined not by what they've done, but by Jesus on a cross, right? That they are worth dying for. And so by giving them what they deserve, it's not oh, they deserve something because of their sin, but they deserve something because Jesus loved them enough to die for them. And so we want to be the kind of people that, that love people like that, serve them like that. We want to be uh, loving kids down at ACF Kids. It's a growing uh, opportunity to serve our children at ACF Kids, to share the gospel with the next generation. I want you to know that it's more than babysitting. We don't do babysitting at ACF. These kids are hearing the good news of Jesus every single week. Find a way to serve. Somebody showed up just to make you some coffee today. That was their way of seeing justice in the world. Praise God. That was their way of saying you have value, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus did. So they made you a cup of coffee today. That's them living to promote justice in the world. Again, making your problems into my problems. Your problem today is you don't have caffeine. It's my problem to fix. I'm going to make you some coffee. You might laugh at this and be like, that's little stuff. But if you don't do the little things, what makes you think God wants to use you for a big thing, right? Like God used me to change the world, but I can't make a cup of coffee, right? I mean, we got to figure out what part we want to play. Here's the secret about people who serve at ACF. The people who serve at ACF aren't passionate about the medium. They're passionate about the mission. They don't, I mean, they might like some coffee, but they don't love it that much. <laughs> Show up here an hour before you do. Even the band up here, they lead us in worship. I love our band. We have just the best people serving you and leading you in worship. Like, they have their own lives. They show up here in the middle of the week to, to, to practice, to do a good job, to lead you well today. But as much as they love the music, they love the fact that last week we had nine people give their life to Jesus. <laughs> Celebrate that. So that's what we're here to do. How are you standing for justice? In what way does your life look like justice? Or how have you fallen prey to the savior complex? Have you fallen into this feeling that you are the ultimate judge of the world and forgotten that Jesus is the judge? Why don't you pull out your uh, action card here real quick, if you would. And you can just kind of tear off this little action step card on the bottom. Which, by the way, more of you filled this out last week than ever before. Thank you very much for doing that. Yeah, amen. Well done. It's good. And again, if you're wondering why you did this, why you do this, um, just try to think for a minute what you did after church last week to, 
to kind of change your life? And if the answer is, I didn't do anything, then fill out the card. Um, because most of us walk away with a lot in our minds, but we don't take a next step. And honestly, if we don't take a next step, we're wasting our time on Sunday morning. And so... Um, Four different steps. The first might be just to give your life to Jesus. We want to give you a chance every single week. If it's just today's your day. And you know, man, I, I've made a lot of mistakes like Moses. Sometimes I lose my temper. The kingdom of God is, is for you. You're being invited into that. So maybe today's your day to do that. Maybe you'd like some information about baptism. We're doing baptism every single month. We're just going to keep giving people opportunities to do that. And so um, that's coming up. So if you'd like to be baptized, we'd love to get you some information about that. Maybe uh, seek God to find my passion. Seek God to find you. So I'll tell you, the best way to find your passion is just go do something. Just go, go do something. Go just, it's very clear. Here's a way to do something, to serve, to, to meet a need. And I'm just going to do that and just watch God light something on fire in my soul. Maybe it's number four. You just need to repent of the Savior complex. Like, you know, if you're honest, You've probably fallen prey to that. And today you need to just say, God, I forgot who I was and I forgot who you are. I just want to trust you as the savior of the world. And so you can drop these in the baskets by the doors on the way out or in the the give boxes. And we're just going to text you a little encouragement this week um, to continue forward in that. Would you stand up? I'd love to pray for us today as we move forward. God, we, uh, we covered some ground today. And we just thank you that your word speaks so relevantly to us right here in 2021. Um, God, I want to pray for the person here today who uh, hasn't found their passion. It feels like uh, life is just sort of like Groundhog Day. Every day, God, it's the same and there's no real joy and excitement, God, that you would infuse them with your life and your vision for the world. God, it's a dangerous prayer, but would you break the hearts of ACF Church for the things that break your heart? God, could we look upon the things that are going on in our city instead of shielding our eyes from them or acting like they're not there? God, in the same way in our own lives, could we look upon the oppression in our souls instead of numbing ourselves or hiding ourselves from those things? And God, could we see that that's where you want to spend some time? God, that's where you want to bring freedom and liberation is right there. God, right where we're enslaved, right in the darkest parts of our lives. That's where you do your best work. And Jesus, we want to surrender this week to you, God. We know that there's going to be a lot coming at us. God, we ask that we'd see you at work in the lives of our friends and neighbors, God. Uh, even those who we, who we believe that um, maybe, maybe are far from you right now, God, we could see that your spirit is actually having a conversation with their soul. God, and you're orchestrating events to bring them to yourself, God. And would you, would you use us to whatever way you would call us to, God, to be part of their story? God, we want to see our friends and neighbors find hope. Thank you for your grace upon us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.